The Hobbit, Chapter 12, Inside Information, Part 2. I have no idea at the moment, if you mean about removing the treasure. That obviously depends entirely on some new turn of luck and the getting rid of smog. Getting rid of dragons is not at all in my line, but I will do my best to think about it. Personally, I have no hopes at all and wish I was safe back at home. Never mind that for the moment. What are we to do now, today? Well, if you really want my advice, I should say we can do nothing but stay where we are. By day, we can no doubt creep out safely enough to take the air. Perhaps before long, one or two could be chosen to go back to the store by the river and replenish our supplies. But in the meanwhile, everyone ought to be well inside the tunnel by night. Now I will make you an offer. I have got my ring and will creep down this very noon. Then if ever Smog ought to be napping and see what he is up to, perhaps something will turn up. Every worm has his weak spot, as my father used to say, though I am sure it was not from personal experience. Naturally, the dwarves accepted this offer eagerly. Already, they had come to respect little Bilbo. Now, he had become the real leader in their adventure. He had begun to have ideas and plans of his own. When midday came, he got ready for another journey down into the mountain. He did not like it, of course, but it was not so bad now he knew, more or less, what was in front of him. Had he known more about dragons and their wily ways, he might have been more frightened and less hopeful of catching this one napping. The sun was shining when he started, but it was as dark as night in the tunnel. The light from the door, almost closed, soon faded as he went down. So silent was his going that smoke on a gentle wind could hardly have surpassed it, and he was inclined to feel a bit proud of himself as he drew near the lower door. There was only the faintest glow to be seen. Old Smaug is weary and asleep, he thought. He can't see me, and he won't hear me. Cheer up, Bilbo. He had forgotten, or had never heard, about Dragon's sense of smell. It is also an awkward fact that they can keep half an eye open, watching while they sleep, if they are suspicious. Smaug certainly looked fast asleep, almost dead and dark, with scarcely a snore more than a whiff of unseen steam, when Bilbo peeped once more from the entrance. He was just about to step out onto the floor when he caught a sudden thin and piercing ray of red from under the drooping lid of Smaug's left eye. He was only pretending to sleep. He was watching the tunnel entrance. Hurriedly, Bilbo stepped back and blessed the luck of his ring. Then Smaug spoke. Well, thief, I smell you, and I feel your air. I hear your breath. Come along. Help yourself again. There is plenty and to spare. But Bilbo was not quite so unlearned in dragon lore as all that, and if Smog hoped to get him to come nearer, so easily he was disappointed. No thank you, O Smog the Tremendous, he replied. I did not come for presents. I only wished to have a look at you and see if you were truly as great as tales say. I did not believe them. Do you now, said the dragon, somewhat flattered, even though he did not believe a word of it? Truly, songs and tales fall utterly short of the reality 
Aus, O Smaug, the chiefest and greatest of calamities, replied Bilbo. You have nice manners for a thief and a liar, said the dragon. You seem familiar with my name, but I don't seem to remember smelling you before. Who are you, and where do you come from, may I ask? You may indeed. I come from under the hill, and under the hills and over the hills my paths led, and through the air I am he that walks unseen. So I can well believe, said Smaug, but that is hardly your usual name. I am the clue finder, the web cutter, the stinging fly. I was chosen for the lucky number. Lovely titles, sneered the dragon, but lucky numbers don't always come off. I am he that buries his friends alive and drowns them and draws them alive again from the water. I came from the end of a bag, but no bag went over me. These don't sound so credible, scoffed Smaug. I am the friend of bears and the guest of eagles. I am ring winner and luck wearer and I am barrel rider, went on Bilbo beginning to be pleased with his riddling. That's better, said Smaug but don't let your imagination run away with you. This, is the, this, of course, is the way to talk to dragons, if you don't want to reveal your proper name, which is wise, and don't want to infuriate them by a flat refusal, which is also very wise. No dragon can resist the fascination of riddling talk and of wasting time trying to understand it. There was a lot here which Smaug did not understand at all, though I expect you do, since you know all about Bilbo's adventures, to which he was referring. But he thought he understood enough, and he chuckled in his wicked inside. I thought so last night, he smiled to himself. Lake men, some nasty scheme of those miserable tub-trading lake men, or I'm a lizard. I haven't been down that way for an age and an age, but I will soon alter that. Very well, old Barrel Rider, he said aloud. Maybe Barrel was your pony's name, and maybe not, though it was fat enough. You may walk unseen, but you did not walk all the way. Let me tell you, I ate six ponies last night, and I shall catch and eat all the others before long. In return for the excellent meal, I will give you one piece of advice for your good. Don't have more to do with dwarves than you can help. Dwarves, said Bilbo, in pretended surprise. Don't talk to me, said Smaug. I know the smell and taste of dwarf, no one better. Don't tell me that I can eat a dwarf-ridden pony and not know it. You'll come to a bad end if you go with such friends, thief barrel rider. I don't mind if you go back and tell them so from me. But he did not tell Bilbo that there was one smell he could not make out at all. Hobbit smell. It was quite outside his experience and puzzled him mightily. I suppose you got a fair price for that cup last night, he went on. Come now, did you? Nothing at all. Well, that's just like them, and I suppose they are skulking outside, and your job is to do all the dangerous work and get what you can when I'm not looking for them. And you will get a fair share? Don't you believe it. If you get off alive, you will be lucky. Bilbo was now beginning to feel really uncomfortable. Whenever Smaug's roving eye, seeking for him in the shadows, flashed across him, he trembled, 
and an unaccountable desire seized hold of him to rush out and reveal himself and tell all the truth to Smaug. In fact, he was in grievous danger of coming under the dragon spell. But plucking up courage, he spoke again. You don't know everything, O Smaug the Mighty, said he. Not gold alone brought us hither. Ha ha, you admit the, you admit the us, laughed Smaug. Why not say us fourteen and be done with it, Mr. Lucky Number? I am pleased to hear that you had other business in these parts besides my gold. In that case, you may, perhaps, not altogether waste your time. I don't know if it has occurred to you that even if you could steal the gold bit by bit, a matter of a hundred years or so, you could not get it very far. Not much use on the mountainside, not much use in the forest. Bless me, had you never thought of the catch? A fourteenth share, I suppose, or something like that. Those were the terms, eh? What about delivery? What about cartage? What about armed guards and tolls? And Smaug laughed aloud. He had a wicked and wily heart, and he knew his guesses were not far out, though he suspected that the lake men were at the back of the plans, and that most of the plunder was meant to stop there in the town, by the shore that in the young days had been called Eskaroth. You will hardly believe it, but poor Bilbo was really very taken aback. So far, all his thoughts and energies had been concentrated on getting to the mountain and finding the entrance. He had never bothered to wonder how the treasure was to be removed, certainly never how any part of it that might fall to his share was to be brought back all the way to Bag End under Hill. Now, a nasty suspicion began to grow in his mind. Had the dwarves forgotten this important point too, or were they laughing in their sleeves at him all the time? That is the effect that dragon talk has on the inexperienced. Bilbo, of course, ought to have been on his guard, but Smaug had rather an overwhelming personality. I tell you, he said, in an effort to remain loyal to his friends and to keep his end up, that gold was only an afterthought with us. We came over hill and under hill, by wave and wind, for revenge. Surely, O oh Smaug, the unassessably wealthy, you must realize that your success has made you some bitter enemies. Then Smaug really did laugh, a devastating sound which shook Bilbo to the floor, while far up in the tunnel the dwarves huddled together and imagined that the hobbit had come to a sudden and a nasty end. Revenge, he snorted, and then the light of his eyes lit the hall from floor to ceiling like scarlet lightning. Revenge! The king under the mountain is dead, and where are his kin that dare seek revenge? Geryon, lord of Dale, is dead, and I have eaten his people like a wolf among sheep, and where are his son's sons that dare approach me? I kill where I wish, and none dare resist. I laid low the warriors of old, and their like is not in the world today. Then I was but young and tender. Now I am old and strong, 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 thief in the shadows, he gloated. My armor is like tenfold shields. My teeth are swords, my claws spears, the shock of my tail a thunderbolt, my wings a hurricane, and my breath death. I have always understood, said Bilbo, in a frightened squeak, the dragons were softer underneath, especially in the region of the, er, chest. 
But doubtless one so fortified has thought of that. The dragon stopped short in his boasting. Your information is antiquated, he snapped. I am armored above and below with iron scales and hard gems. No blade can pierce me. I might have guessed it, said Bilbo. Truly there can, there can nowhere be found the equal of Lord Smaug the Impenetrable. What magnificence to possess a waistcoat of fine diamonds. Yes, it is rare and wonderful indeed, said Smaug, absurdly pleased. He did not know that the hobbit had already caught a glimpse of his peculiar undercovering on his previous visit, and was itching for a closer view for reasons of his own. The dragon rolled over. Look, he said, what do you say to that? Dazzlingly marvelous, perfect, flawless, staggering, exclaimed Bilbo aloud. But what he thought inside was, old fool, why there is a large patch in the hollow of the left breast, as bare as a snail out of its shell. After he had seen that Mr. Baggins' one idea was to get away, well, I really must not detain... Your magnificence any longer, he said, or keep you from much-needed rest. Ponies take some catching, I believe, after a long start. And so do burglars, he added, as a parting shot, as he darted back and fled up the tunnel. It was an unfortunate remark, for the dragon spouted terrific flames after him, and fast though he sped up the slope, he had not gone nearly far enough to be comfortable before the ghastly head of smog was thrust against the opening behind. Luckily, the whole head and jaws could not squeeze in, but the nostrils sent forth fire and vapor to pursue him, and he was nearly overcome and stumbled blindly on in great pain and fear. He had been feeling rather pleased with the cleverness of his conversation with Smaug, but his mistake at the end shook him into better sense. Never laugh at live dragons, Bilbo, you fool, he said to himself, and it became a favorite saying of his later and passed into a proverb. You aren't nearly through this adventure yet, he added, and that was pretty true as well. The afternoon was turning into evening when he came out again and stumbled and fell in a faint on the doorstep. The dwarves revived him and doctored his scorches as well as they could, but it was a long time before the hair on the back of his head and his heels grew properly again. It had all been singed and frizzled right down to the skin. In the meanwhile, his friends did their best to cheer him up, and they were eager for his story, especially wanting to know why the dragon had made such an awful noise and how Bilbo had escaped. But the hobbit was worried and uncomfortable, and they had difficulty in getting anything out of him. On thinking things over, he was now regretting some of the things he had said to the dragon, and was not eager to repeat them. The old thrush was sitting on a rock nearby, with his head cocked on one side, listening to all that was said. It shows what an ill temper Bilbo was in. He picked up a stone and threw it at the thrush, which merely fluttered aside and came back. Drat the bird, said Bill Crossley, Bilbo crossly. I believe he is listening, and I don't like the look of him. Leave him alone, said Thorin. The thrushes are good and friendly. This is a very old bird indeed, and is maybe the last left of the ancient breed 
that used to live about here, tamed to the hands of my father and grandfather. They were a long-lived and magical race, and this might even be one of those that were alive then, a couple of hundreds of years or more ago. The men of Dale used to have the trick of understanding their language and use them for messengers to fly to the men of the lake and elsewhere. Well, he'll have news to take to, the lake, to lake Town, all right, if that is what he is after, said Bilbo, though I don't suppose there are any people left there that trouble with thrush language. Why, what has happened, cried the dwarves. Do get on with your tale. So Bilbo told them all he could remember, and he confessed that he had a nasty feeling that the dragon guessed too much from his riddles added to the camps and the ponies. I am sure he knows we came from Lake Town and had help from there, and I have a, ter a horrible feeling that his next move may be in that direction. I wish to goodness I had never said that about Barrel Rider. It would make even a blind rabbit in these parts think of Lake Men. Well, well, it cannot be helped, and it is difficult not to slip in talking to a dragon. Or so I have always heard, said Balin, anxious to comfort him. I think you did very well, if you ask me. You found out one very useful thing at any rate, and got home alive, and that is more than most can say, who have had words with the likes of Smaug. It may be a mercy and a blessing yet to know of the bear patch in the old worm's diamond waistcoat. That turned the conversation, and they all began discussing dragon slangs, historical, dubious, and mythical, and the various sorts of stabs and jabs and undercuts, and the different arts, devices, and stratagems by which they had been accomplished. The general opinion was that catching a dragon napping was not as easy as it sounded, and the attempt to stick one or prod one asleep was more likely to end in disaster than a bold frontal attack. All the while they talked, the thrush listened, till at last, when the stars began to peep forth, it silently spread its wings and flew away. And all the while they talked and the shadows lengthened, Bilbo became more and more unhappy, and his foreboding grew. At last he interrupted them. I am sure we are very unsafe here, he said, and I don't see the point of sitting here. The dragon has withered all the pleasant green, and anyway, the night has come, and it is cold. But I feel it in my bones that this place will be attacked again. Smaug knows now how I came down to his hall, and you can trust him to guess where the other end of the tunnel is. He will break all this side of the mountain to bits, if necessary, to stop up our entrance. And if we are smashed with it, the better he will like it. You are very gloomy, Mr. Baggins, said Thorin. Why has not Smaug blocked the lower end, then, if he is so eager to keep us out? He has not, or we should have heard him. I don't know, I don't know, because at first he wanted to try and lure me in again, I suppose, and now perhaps because he is waiting till after tonight's hunt, or because he does not want to damage his bedroom if he can help it. But I wish you would not argue. Smaug will be coming out, at any minute now, and our only hope is to get well in the tunnel and shut the door. He seemed so much in earnest that the dwarves at last did as he said. Though they delayed shutting the door, it seemed a desperate plan, for no one knew whether or how they could get it open again from the inside, 
and the thought of being shut in a place from which the only way out led through the dragon's lair was not one they liked. Also, everything seemed quite quiet, both outside and down the tunnel. So for a longish while, they sat inside not far down from the half-open door and went on talking. The talk turned to Dragon's wicked words about the dwarves. Bilbo wished he had never heard them, or at least that he could feel cert quite certain that the dwarves now were absolutely honest when they declared that they had never thought at all about what would happen after the treasure had been won. We knew it would be a desperate venture, said Thorin, and we know that still, and I still think that when we have won, it will be time enough to think what to do about it. As for your share, Mr. Baggins, I assure you, we are, more, we are more than grateful, and you shall choose your own fourteenth, as soon as we have anything to divide. I am sorry if you are worried about transport, and I admit the difficulties are great. The lands have not become less wild with the passing of time, rather the reverse. But we will do whatever we can for you, and take our share of the cost when the time comes. Believe me or not, as you like. From that the talk turned to the great horde itself and to the things that Thorin and Balin remembered. They wondered if they were still lying there unharmed in the hall below. The spears that were made for the armies of the great king Bladdorthen, long since dead, each had a thrice-forged head and their shafts were inlaid with cunning gold. But they were never delivered or paid for. Shields made for warriors, long dead. The great golden cup of Thror, two-handed, hammered and carven with birds and flowers, whose eyes and petals were of jewels. Coats of mail, gilded and silvered and impenetrable. The necklace of Geryon, Lord of Dale, made of five hundred emeralds green as grass, which he gave for the army of his eldest son, in a, quote, in a coat of dwarf-linked rings, the like of which had never been made before, for it was wrought of pure silver to the power and strength of triple steel. But fairest of all was the great white gem which the dwarves had found beneath the roots of the mountain, the heart of the mountain, the Arkenstone of Thrain. The Arkenstone, the Arkenstone, murmured Thorin in the dark, half dreaming with his chin upon his knees. It was like a globe with a thousand facets, it shone like silver in the firelight, like water in the sun, like snow under the stars, like rain upon the moon. But the enchanted desire of the horde had fallen from Bilbo. All through their talk he was only half listening to them. He sat nearest to the door with one ear cocked for any beginnings of a sound without. His other was alert for echoes beyond the murmurs of the dwarves for any whisper of a movement from far below. Darkness grew deeper, and he grew ever more uneasy. Shut the door, he begged them. I fear that dragon in my marrow. I like this silence far less than the uproar of last night. Shut the door before it is too late. Something in his voice gave the dwarves an uncomfortable feeling. Slowly, Thorn shook off his dreams, and getting up, he kicked away the stone that wedged the door. Then they thrust upon it, and it closed with a snap and a clang. No trace of a keyhole was there, was there left on the inside. They were shut in the mountain. And not a moment too soon. 
They had hardly gone any distance down the tunnel when a blow smote the side of the mountain like the crash of battering rams made of forest oaks and swung by giants. The rock boomed, the walls cracked, and stones fell from the roof on their heads. What would have happened if the door had still been open, I don't like to think. They fled further down the tunnel, glad to be still alive, while behind them outside they heard the roar and rumble of Smaug's fury. He was breaking rocks to pieces, smashing wall and cliff with the lashings of his huge tail, to their little lofty camping ground, the scorched grass, the thrush's stone, the snail-covered walls, the narrow ledge, and all disappeared in a jumble of smithereens, and an avalanche of splintered stones fell over the cliff into the valley below. Smaug had left his lair in silent stealth, quietly soared into the air, and then floated heavy and slow in the dark like a monstrous crow down the wind towards the west of the mountain in the hopes of catching unawares something or somebody there and was spying the outlet to the passage which the thief had used. This was the outburst of his wrath when he could find nobody and see nothing, even where he guessed that the outlet must actually be. After he'd let off his rage in this way, he felt better and he thought in his heart that he would not be troubled again from that direction. In the meanwhile, he had further vengeance to take. Barrel rider, he snorted, your feet came from the waterside, and up the water you came without a doubt. I don't know your smell, but if you are not one of those men of the lake, you had their help. They shall see me and remember who is the real king under the mountain. He rose in fire and went away south, towards the running river. End of part two.